Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. All right, we are on our uh, continuing our series of talks called Let No One Deceive You. A good high school friend and college friend of mine uh, sent me a text message and said, hey, 15 parts to a series is considered season two in Netflix. So <laughs> I was like, all right, smarty pants. But, uh, so it was really funny. Hey, here at the Rhodes, we get excited when we open our Bibles because we still believe it's the truth. Anybody agree with me this morning? So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to Revelation chapter 17. Woo! Had the privilege of speaking at a conference in Marion, Kentucky, Friday night. And I got there, and uh, I didn't know if they knew who I was. The pastor, of course, I've known him for a long time, but I didn't know the church. I'd never spoken there. And they came up, and they had this meme that they had created about, had my face on it, and it said, <laughs> and then on the screen it said, we coming and we ain't backing down. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay. So you know who I am. It was pretty good. They were, they were ready when I told them to open up their Bibles and some people gave a little shout out. So I'm like, okay, you guys know what's up. Sermon notes are available in your worship guide. They're the same sermon notes from last week pretty much because I didn't preach last week. The sermon I had and I was beginning to wonder if I was going to this week. Uh, it's still up for debate whether it's going to happen. I, I encourage you always bring your Bible. Don't believe what I say without checking it out for yourself. Uh, I've, I know this to be true. All of us are susceptible to deception when we blindly trust voices from television, social media, the medical field, or pulpits. Somebody sent me a, a message uh, about a pastor who was preaching a message. They sent me a little article about a, a guy who's going to have to resign about a message he was preaching, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's not... That's not what we want to be preaching. I'm not going to say his name or what it was about, but I'm just saying there are issues in every field. And when you blindly trust voices in any field, you open yourself up to deception. Don't, tr don't blindly trust people in the pulpit. Don't blindly trust people in television. Some people only believe something is really true when they finally hear the media say it. Then they're like, oh, okay, now it's real. Or when social media finally comes around and they say it, then now it's real. Or, or the medical field comes around and says it, now we know it's true. Now, there are people in every field that you don't want to trust. So we just have to know that's why we have to have a relationship with the Bible. It's important for us to get what's going to happen on the earth, who we were created to be, how we're created to function, abilities we possess, the power that is available to us, the values we are to possess are all found in the Bible. Not a strong amen, but that's all right. See, if we get our current events and our values, we've been talking a little bit about current events, and before I jump into the message, I wanted to just mention some of this. Values too many times have been defined by culture and society instead of the truths of the Word of God. And my concern is I'm even seeing this in pastors that are getting so concerned about what the public's going to say about what they say 
They're getting so concerned about hurting people's feelings that now the truth is starting to be massaged and just kind of colored over and, and, and just like, well, I, I just don't, I don't, they're saying, I just don't want to get involved in politics. I'm like, I don't want to get involved in politics as like running for office, but I want to declare truth into the issues of society from a biblical standpoint. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not being political. That's being biblical. And I, don't, I just want to encourage pastors to not get intimidated, to not speak to the truths and values so that our teenagers, our young people, the values and the, and the cultural values of our young people, it is under attack by social media and the media trying to swarm them with information to change biblical conservative values. I'm not talking conservative meaning Republican. I'm talking about conservative meaning biblical on where our values are supposed to come from. So we got to look to the Bible for that. Where are we to land on values regarding things in the world? Where are we supposed to land on values regarding gender and sexuality? Hot button topic right now. When are, what are we supposed to do about that? When are, we supposed to, when are we supposed to trust the science? We've heard for a year now. We're supposed to trust the science and trust the science. But it's only certain science. If this science doesn't say what we want it to say, don't trust that science. Only trust this science. Okay, so we got, we got to pick which science we're supposed to trust. So I understand that. But then now also when it comes to gender. So with the virus, we're supposed to trust the science. Again, certain science. But when it comes to gender and identity about sexuality, we're not supposed to trust the science. We're supposed to trust feelings. Where's the push for science when it comes to gender identity? We feel our way into gender identity, but we want science on certain stuff. This is why I'm talking that our world is trying to take logic and reason and the Bible out of the picture and just say, go with what you feel. Whatever you feel, that's who you are. No, there's sometimes I don't feel very good. There's sometimes I don't feel like a Christian. That doesn't make me not a Christian. Sometimes I don't feel happy. That doesn't make me depressed. The Equality Act that's being proposed would force anyone employing 15 or more people to recognize people's claimed gender identity, forbid employers from discriminating based on sexual orientation or gender identity, and mandate transgender access to opposite-sex restrooms, locker rooms, and dressing rooms. I have four daughters. All of them play sports. I don't feel that my daughters need to play sports against a biological male or have a biological male in their locker room when they're getting ready. If that offends you, that's not my issue. My issue is not to offend. My issue is to declare God made male and female. How you came out of the womb biologically, that's who you are. That's who you are. And sometimes we thought, well, that's not loving. Loving is when you care enough to tell someone the truth about their life. If it makes them mad and they walk away from it, that's their issue. That's not yours. We're responsible. And again, I don't want to create a, a church mentality where we're just against this. What I'm for is gender identity. I am for it 100%. I am for what God's created, who God's created you to be and for you to find that. So we just want to address these things and be as open as we can because we believe the Bible is the basis for truth. We even had a, a House Judiciary Chairman speak these words on the floor of Congress after, um, after a man had given uh, quote, quoted the Bible about gender identity, this individual got up and said these words, and I quote, 
What any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. What any religious tradition ascribes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. God's will is of no concern to this Congress. This is why we need the truth coming from the church and the church getting involved in society. Because society is trying to push the truth of God out of society and say it is of no concern to this Congress. It is no concern to this school. It is of no concern in the workplace. It is no concern wherever. But I'm telling you, God's will is of concern in the world today. It is of concern. So we want to make sure and know about it. This is why we need to have the Bible because the Bible is going to tell us what's up. It's going to tell us what's getting ready to happen in the world so uh, let's jump into some of it today. Last time I spoke, we talked about uh, the enemies that are going to come against Israel in Ezekiel. And today we're going to talk about the great harlot. If you haven't heard enough sermons on the great harlot, this is great. This is your first one. Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to pull my board over here. I haven't used it in a couple weeks, but there's some things I just want to point out on this timeline. Are you ready? We're only going to get through a little bit of it today. Uh, obviously, probably with uh, time constraints, but that's okay. We'll do what we can. Revelation chapter one, uh, 17, rather, verse 1, says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet, scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, let me just stop right there. You read all of that and you're like, what the what? What is that all about? What's, what's going on? I mean, is, is God's goal to confuse us with overly difficult apocalyptic symbolism and metaphors within metaphors? Are we... What, this is so confusing. We got a woman on a beast. She's drunk with blood and scarlet and gold. This is why most people skip over Revelation. They're just like, you know, no, I just forget about that book. But I, I want us to understand some things today. I want to bring some clarity to it to the best of my ability. If you don't see it that way, that's okay. This is just the way I see it. Uh, we, we need to, whenever we're reading ap apocalyptical scriptures, which just means more prophetic or end-time scriptures. One key to understanding this type of scripture is to, there's a pattern. In Daniel and Revelation, here's the pattern that we need to follow. A revelation, a dream, a vision, or symbolic imagery occurs. And then after that, that symbolism is explained in straightforward literal terms, often by an angel. So we've got these fifth, first six verses that seem pretty confusing. But look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. 
So here's the, here's the pattern that happens in Scripture. If we'll stay with it, we can understand books like Daniel and Revelation. But if we just want to understand the Bible like we understand our Twitter feed, we're never going to understand Scripture. And that's the problem. In society, we're becoming biblically illiterate because we don't have the patience to actually study something. We just want to scan something. I'm not hating on anybody. I'm just explaining why we're not understanding scriptures because we have to take time. I heard a study on why, why uh, foreign students, specifically Asian students, students specifically um, historically s- score better on math and science tests because the average, and this was in the kindergarten first grade level, because they took a test and they tried to time how long do they stick with it before they give up. The American students give uh, nine minutes to a problem where the Asian students would spend 13 minutes on the problem. Sometimes the amount of time you invest in something determines what you get out of it. When I want to get out of the Bible, just, uh, just my daily verse on you version, boom, and move on, I'm never going to get the fullness of what God has. All right? So let, let's look at this. So here's the symbolism. We added the symbolism. Now the angel comes in and says, here, let me tell you what's up. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast. Verse 8, the beast that you saw was and is not. Now, hold on. I wanted to understand about the woman, and he starts talking about the beast. Here's why that's important. The beast, the woman, the meaning of the woman requires that we first understand what the beast represents. We have to understand what the beast represents. So let's go in verse 9. So the, or the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition, and those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads on this this beast that the woman is sitting on, here's the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads, I'm going to explain them, the angel says, are seven mountains on which the woman sits. I've got them drawn up for you here, seven mountains. We've talked about this a little bit in this series. Seven mountains on which the uh, seven on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. So these seven mountains represent seven kingdoms. Five have fallen. One is, and the other is not yet to come. So one is the Bible Revelation. Right now, John is writing Revelation in AD ninety five. Is when we estimate AD ninety five. So that's when he's writing it. One is one of these mountains is. Five have fallen. Five, four, three, two, one. Five of them have fallen. One is, he says, one is to come. So he's telling us what's happening. He's writing out the the history. He says this beast represents these seven historical pagan empires with each head representing a different empire in a ten-king coalition under the leadership of the Antichrist. Now, who are these seven? Who are these seven? Historically, this is something important for us to understand. These seven represent the primary seven empires who have at one time or another ruled over the promised land and most often through which Satan sought to destroy God's people. So we're talking about these seven kingdoms. We're not talking about just seven random kingdoms. We're talking about seven kingdoms that have to do with Israel. Remember, the Bible is a Jewish or Israeli-centric book. It's a Middle Eastern-centric book. I believe we got a map up just again to show you the Middle East that we're talking about. These seven kingdoms are historically the seven major empires 
that have possessed or occupied the land of Israel at some point in history. That's where it comes down to. So we're looking at these seven empires, these seven heads on this beast. It's coming from the, this area. So it's from this geographical area. So this beast that this woman is sitting on is made up of nations in this area. You tracking with me? We're not talking about seven cities in the United States. We're not talking about seven crazy guys all over the world. We're just talking about seven kingdoms that came from this area that at one point occupied Israel. That's who this woman's sitting on. She's riding this beast, right? So this matches the statue of Daniel chapter 2. Remember that one is, is Roman, the Ottoman Empire. It's the one who came after the Roman Empire. And it says, if I go on and read, the one who is, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not, so the one that was and is not, the Ottoman Empire dissolved after World War I. The beast that was and is not, I'm in verse 11, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So the eighth empire is also, the seventh is also the eighth. So the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire, this is where I believe the resurgence of the Turkish Empire will be the Antichrist kingdom's base operation. That's where I'm putting that together. So now, if the beast, we're understanding the woman, who's the woman? If we have to understand the beast before we understand the woman, if the beast is the Antichrist empire made up of these seven different nations, and if we believe it's a resurgence of the Ottoman Empire, so now if the beast of Revelation 17 is the Islamic Ottoman Turkish Empire, then the identity of the harlot begins to be narrowed down. Let me explain what that means. Let's go on. Look at verse, go back to verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot. Now, what does the word harlot mean? The word harlot is a Greek word, porne. Sound like any English word we have? Pornography is one of the key devices of Satan to steal, kill, and destroy out of people's lives. Pornography is of the devil. You need to run from it. Looking at pictures of males or females, inappropriate pictures, you need to run, run, run. It is the devil. It's not, well, I've heard, well, all guys look at porn. Not all righteous guys look at porn. That's not God's plan for you. That's not God's best for you. So don't get caught into this manhood thing that looking at women in that way is okay. Speaking from an individual who came out of that, it is a lie from the devil. I don't want to get this sermon on that, but I just want to throw that out. Porne means prostitute. It's one who sells itself or its resources, what they have for money or other things that it doesn't have. So what, what is she? What is this great harlot? People have had all kind of ideology on what it is, but the Bible explains itself. Look at verse 18. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So what is the harlot? The harlot is a great city. We don't have to wonder. The Bible says it's a city. Eight times in Revelation 17 and Revelation 18, the harlot is referred to as a city. A literal city. In verse 18, it says it's a great city. What does that mean? It means a 
politically or geographically uh, defined entity that exerts a significant measure of influence around the world over kings and those in authority. So it is a great city. What are we looking for? You're like, Chad, why does this matter? Because it's going to play out before us. We need to know what is right and what is not right. We need to know that, wait a minute, that country is not good. That leader is not good. It's going to be politically incorrect to identify the Antichrist. When you point them out, they're going to say, stop being political. But you're going to say, I'm not being political. I'm being biblical. So look, it's a great city. We know it's a city. Let me go on. I don't spend too much time on that. So look at verse uh, 2. So the great harlot, or sorry, end of verse 1. Great harlot who sits on many waters. All right, here's another clue. Who is this harlot? It's a great city. It's a great city who sits on many waters. Well, what does the water represent? Does it mean it's an island in the middle of the ocean? No, look at verse 15. 15 says, Then he said to me, the angel, again, imagery, and then the angel explains it. The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So what is the many waters? It represents people. It's a great mixture of different ethnic groups and languages. So we're looking for a city with a bunch of different ethnic groups and languages. A very diverse city. Not Manhattan. It's got a bunch of different people in it, but I'm talking about a place with different languages, ethnicities, all of that in that city. That's what they're sitting on. So one city that has influence over many different kings of the earth and a place where many different ethnic groups gather. Bunch of different ethnic groups gather, and that city has authority over kings and authority over kings specifically in this region. Are you with me? I know this is a little teachy, and some people don't really care about this stuff, but I feel like it's important for us to highlight. God put this in the Bible for a reason. And he put it a reason for this time in history. For this time in history. So a city that's got a bunch of different languages and ethnic groups gathered and has authority over kings in this specific region. So how does she get this influence? Look at verse 2. And with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And the inhabitants, yeah, the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. That word fornication is the Greek word pornuo. Same root as where we get our word pornography. Means to act the harlot or idolatry idolatry, unlawful indulging. So what it's saying is this city that has a bunch of different ethnic groups in it is actually seducing the kings of the earth through idolatry. So we're looking for a city that has idolatry going on in it and it influences kings in this region of the earth. Again, more clues. One city, many different kings, Influence with different ethnic groups and has a lot of idolatry going on in it that's seducing kings. What does that mean? Let's go to verse 3, looking for another clue. So he carried me away. Where did he take John to see the city? He carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Wilderness. Remember, wilderness in the Bible is not woods. It's not timberland. It is desert. That word wilderness means lonely, deserted, solitary place, or literal desert, 
Where did the children of Israel wander for 40 years? In the wilderness or the desert. I brought up on the map, here's where the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Notice the place where they wandered. There's no timberland here. Notice the area of the earth where they're walking, where they're wandering. They wandered through the wilderness of Shur, Sinai, Paran, and Zin. All those you'll find in there on that map. This, they could have walked right across the top, but they wandered all through the wilderness. All that was desert area. And this is the city. He took me in the spirit to see this woman in the wilderness or in the desert. Jesus, in Matthew 24, speaking of the end times, said this, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Jesus, speaking on the end times, speaking of false Christ and false prophets, said, when they say, look, he is in the desert, do you think it's just coincidental that Jesus used the word desert? He didn't say, look, he is in Chicago. That's not what he said. It's in the desert. Again, trying to give you a description on where these things are talking about. Jesus was saying, do not associate with what's going on with the worship of this individual in the desert. Now look, continue with verse 3. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast whose name was full of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Notice the, seven, the beast had seven heads and ten horns. Revelation chapter 12 verse 3 talking about Satan, says the fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns. Here's what we need to understand. The Antichrist is the embodiment of Satan on the earth. Notice the correlation. Satan, the red fiery dragon, seven heads and ten horns. The Antichrist, the Antichrist kingdom, the beast that this woman is sitting on, seven heads and ten horns. It's telling us where this beast is going to get its power. It's the embodiment of Satan on the earth. So the woman is sitting on this beast or this kingdom, this empire. Sitting represents authority. So this woman or this great city, don't think woman and think female. We've already described that this is a city. So this city is setting in a place of authority over this kingdom. So this city thinks it's in charge of all the nations that are associated with it. See where I'm going here. So, that, so this city sits in a place of authority over the beast. Now, we've got to separate the beast and the city. The beast is the governmental aspect of the Antichrist empire. The heart of woman or the city or the, is the spiritual or religious driver of the beast kingdom. So now when you think of the harlot, you think of the woman, you think of that city, the city is a religious leader of a governmental organization. The Antichrist kingdom started with a false religion, but that false religion grew into an entire kingdom, and this city sits in authority over that. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork. What is this city? Who in the world could have this kind of power over kings full of blasphemy? See, this, we're looking for something where religion is the unifying force of all these kingdoms. What religion would bring all these kingdoms together under one unified common goal? Just, I'm just asking questions. 
It's full of blasphemy. Full of blasphemy. What does blasphemy mean? To insult, defamation, slander, or disrespect God. To disrespect God. Now let's go and look at verse 4. So this city, this religion, this kingdom, this woman was arrayed in purple. Purple means royalty or a monarchy or a king with a kingdom. So think purple, think royalty. It's important. These are all clues. These are all clues. It's really good if you break it down. Maybe you don't care, but just pretend like you do. So the purple represents royalty and scarlet, scarlet, notice the beast is a scarlet beast and the woman or the city is arrayed in scarlet. So they're both in scarlet. They match. They're on the same team. They're wearing the same colors. In the beginning, the harlot and the beast are going to seem as a team, a rider and the steed, but hang on, they're not going to stay on the same team. Scarlet, why scarlet? Scarlet represents sin. Isaiah 1.18 says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Scarlet beast represents sin. Woman city arrayed in scarlet represents sin. Bringing those together. Gold and precious stones and pearls represent that they are rich beyond measure. All these are clues. So now let's put it together. What desert nation is governed by a royal monarchy known throughout the earth and especially in this region as a fabulously wealthy place that has religious influence over kingdoms in that area. Still just leaving clues. Let's go to verse 5. You want me? Well, just tell me the answer. That's why we study the Bible. <laughs> verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. What is her name? The name of the city is Mystery Babylon the Great. Names written on foreheads in Scripture. Whenever you see this used, this, this means something. Names written on foreheads reveal the true character of people and their relationship or loyalty to God or the devil, who they serve. Names represent the true character of someone and it represents loyalty on who they serve. So notice what's written on there. Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. The mother of harlots. The mother of is a figure of speech in Eastern language. Middle Eastern way of expressing a superlative, like it's the biggest, the worst, like saying the mother of all storms. What would that mean? Yeah. That would mean it's the biggest storm possible. Whenever Saddam Hussein declared that the U.S. was about to experience the mother of all defeats, he was declaring that it was going to be the biggest defeat the United States has ever experienced. I mean, know that didn't turn out the way he thought it was going to turn out. But the mother of, so when she's the mother of all harlots, that means it's the greatest idolatry or the greatest blasphemy against God in the history of the world. The last days Babylon will be the biggest, greatest, most significant false religion in history. The greatest false religion, the biggest false religion, the most significant, the most influential false religion in the world. The mother of all harlots. So I'm not talking about just one random, weird, 
religion. We're talking about the mother of all religions. Okay? You've got to get that p- p- picture. So why harlotry? Why harlotry? I talked about the idolatry. The word harlot, uh, prostitution, is about idolatry. And I don't have time to go into all this. In Exodus, it talks about any time in Scripture they use the word harlotry or playing the harlot in the Bible. They're talking about worship of idols or sacrificial idols. And that's what they're talking about here. When it talks about idolatry or playing the harlot, it's talking about worshiping of idols. So let me throw this together. So Babylon. This ancient Babylon, this end times Babylon, is a religious desert city. Remember the wilderness. It's a religious desert city that could be viewed as the most significant religious city where idol worship takes place and is attempted to usurp the position of Jerusalem as the spiritual capital of the world. Are we ringing any bells yet? Verse 6 says that I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints. And with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, the woman, the city, the kingdom, this religion was drunk on the blood of saints and martyrs. That's a tremendous clue. One of the most important defining characteristics of the last days of Babylon is that they will be a great persecutor of the saints. So I ask this question, what religion teaches that the blood of Christians and Jews should be shed. What desert region, religious city, has a teaching, has a religion that teaches that Christians and Jews should be wiped off the face of the earth, be beheaded, and their blood spilled? There is only one. The religion of Islam. It's the only one that teaches that. If you, think of, if you think that's attacking people, that's not attacking people. That's declaring the truth of the agenda of a religion. If you study the Quran, you will find in the teachings of the Quran. Now you can handpick, and people try and do this all the time to defend Islam. They will handpick and cherry pick certain ones. But if you put all the scriptures together, the agenda of Islam is to remove the Jews and the, the infidels, the Christians, off the face of the earth. It says this Antichrist kingdom will be drunk on the blood of the saints and the martyrs. They can't get enough of it. So what desert city is the primary spiritual and economical heart, economic heart of the Islamic world? It's Mecca. Mecca. Mecca's the place. You're like, well, I thought it's Babylon. There's Babylon, Iraq. I know there's a Babylon, Iraq, and different people have their different views on it. Some people think that that is the Babylon. I specifically do not believe that's the Babylon we're talking about. I believe the end times Babylon is more Mecca. Now let me, let me give you something I can't leave you with this without dropping this nugget. Look at 18, chapter 18. I got it's got to be a quick nugget. Are you okay with this? Okay. Verse, verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, notice what he said, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean, hated bird. 
for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her, that city's, luxury. Now notice what was said. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Look real quickly at Isaiah 21. Watch the Bible come together. Hundreds of years earlier, hundreds of years earlier, this phrase was used. Isaiah 21 Look at verse 1, says the burden or the prophecy, the word burden is really the word prophecy, prophecy against the wilderness. What's the word wilderness mean? Desert. So wilderness, the burden or the prophecy against the desert of the sea. That's who this is, prophecy is against. That word, we can break that down. The desert of the sea or the peninsula of the sea or the Arab peninsula of the sea. Look at verse 9. Let me jump down to verse 9 for time's sake. And, I, and look, here comes a, a chariot of men with a pair of horsemen. Then he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the carved images of her gods he has broken to the ground. Does that sound like Revelation? Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. What is this chapter speaking about? The prophecy against the desert of the sea. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now who could this be talking about? Look in verse 11. The burden against Duma. You know where Duma is? Duma is a word, that it's near Medina or Arabia. This was a son of Ishmael. Jump down to verse 13. The burden against Arabia. That's pretty clear. Saudi Arabia. In the forest in Arabia you will lodge, O you traveling companies of Dedanites. Dedanites are Arabs. Verse 14. O inhabitants of the land of Tima. Tima, another way a translation for Arabia. Are we getting a pattern? Verse 16. For thus the Lord has said to me, within a year, according to the year of a hired man, all the glory of Kedar, the glory of Kedar. Kedar was a son of Ishmael, believed to be the line from which Muhammad descended. So what city could be the glory of Kedar? And the remainder of the number of archers and mighty men of the people of Kedar will be diminished, diminished for the Lord of God of Israel has spoken. And there's so much more I want to go into here. People's like, Chad, why are you saying this stuff? Aren't you a little bit concerned about talking about... When the Bible puts this level of specificity in there and begins to tell us exactly where it's going to be, we need to have our radar up and paying attention that the Bible will tell us what's going to happen on the earth. You can trust who you want to trust. You can believe. But if you're waiting on CNN and Fox News to tell you who the Antichrist is going to be, it will never, never do it. They will never do it. You have to have a, a word with your Bible. And you're going to have to be able to trust things that are against culture. Man, I need 20 more minutes for this point right here. We, the church, I'm talking big C, 
we've got to stop putting on to people that it's not ever going to be difficult. We, we've got to raise up some people that have a little bit of sternness in their faith, a little bit of courage in their walk with Christ. Well, I just don't want to offend anybody and I don't want to hurt their feelings. It doesn't matter about that. It's about raising up what is right according to the Word of God. You've got to have some stamina to be able to say something and watch it be attacked and watch yourself be attacked, your personhood. I'm telling you the things that we're walking into, there is a dividing line happening in the church. There's a dividing line happening. And I'm not saying I want us to be hatred and be that person on the street corner saying, you're all going to hell. That's not what I'm talking about. I just want to be the one on the street corner saying, hey, the Bible is the truth. He wants to save you. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. So we got to know what the Bible says. we got to stop. I ran way over last week because I forgot what time this service ended. <laughs> if it's over usually at 10 o'clock, and I was like just rolling right on. 1020, they're like, hey, second service is about to start. So again, why are we talking about this stuff? Why does it matter? I'm not, here, let me be very clear. I want to point this out. I'm not against the nation of Saudi Arabia. I'm not against the nation of Saudi Arabia. Love the nation. Love the people. God's telling you what's going to happen. I'm not against the Muslims. We, this is not a license to hate Muslims. Do not. You better love every Muslim you see because Jesus loves every Muslim he sees. He created them all. Created them all. This is not for us to say we're up here and everyone else is down here. No, no, no. We stay humble. Our core value, we go low and we grow. It is just to speak the truth of God and invite people into relationship with Jesus. All right, would you stand to your feet? I'm getting way over. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Who's the woman? The woman is not a woman. The woman's a city. What city? It's a desert city, a desert religious city where all these different languages and people come together. So why are we on the lookout? We're on the lookout for what's going to happen next week. I'm going to give you a little teaser. I'm going to throw this out. Remember the woman sitting on the beast? They look like they're in harmony. If you'll read ahead in Revelation chapter 18, you'll find that that same beast that she thought she was controlling is going to turn on her and burn her with fire. You're going to see these nations that Mecca and Saudi Arabia thinks it's controlling are going to turn on her, and I believe Mecca will be burned to the ground. I could be wrong. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.